Welcome to Teaching in Our Dystopian Reality. My name is Takina, and I created this podcast as a part of my work at the Teaching and Learning Center to engage college educators in conversation as we work and teach from home through COVID-19. In a November interview with Luke Walter, director of the Teaching and Learning Center at the Graduate Center, historian, and faculty in the Interactive Technology and Pedagogy program, we discuss how his practice has shifted and evolved through the pandemic. Our collective work building communities of practice at the TLC takes on new meaning and new urgency as we all navigate these crises. In this conversation, we talk about redefining rigor and high standards, how flexibility can deepen learning and engage students, care work, and the value of slowing down. These conversations with educators have deepened and developed my own conception of socially conscious pedagogy. In my dozens of conversations, the most persistent and significant qualities that have emerged are intentionality, responsiveness, flexibility, and mindfulness. The conversation with Luke has me also thinking of the ways that these crises have taught us about resourcefulness in the classroom. Okay, so I have a few questions for you that I kind of wrote specifically for you as someone who supports uh, university instructors and faculty. Um, so prior to the pandemic, what was your role at the Teaching and Learning Center? Um, and how did you respond in the immediate few months when CUNY went virtual? So um, I'm the director of the Teaching and Learning Center. Um, and it- have been there since 2015 and my role is to support graduate uh, student instructors as they're becoming um, college teachers and growing and evolving as college teachers and kind of settling into the role Um, and then as they're going out into uh, the next phase of their life and careers and thinking about what uh, at CUNY is invariably very deep and varied teaching experience um, what opportunities that's prepared them for so um, thinking about the, the relationships of the um, people's pedagogy to their scholarship, um, the skills that it takes to effectively teach a college course at CUNY, um, and how that um, is a, a transferable skill that's prepared you not only for um, a life inside the academy, but also for um, a range of, of activities um, and opportunities beyond the academy. Um, so, you know, that that's that's the job, um, and I do it with folks like you who are, are advanced doctoral students with uh, teaching experience um, who can provide um, near peer mentorship um, for beginning graduate students. Um, and uh, over time, that that element of the job has um, really been something I've I've thought a lot about how I support folks who are um, not only college teachers themselves but are really trying to support other college teachers uh, and what it means uh, to help folks um, imagine and build communities of of practice um, and and what it means to to mentor people who have different connections to to pedagogy. Um, And, um, you know, it's been very rewarding work. Um, When the pandemic hit, um, I felt that the 
you know, the immediate responsibility that we had um, was to make sure one, that graduate center student instructors didn't feel alone, um, that they um, knew they could turn somewhere for support. Um, uh, and uh, not even that that support was necessarily us, but that we could connect them to people on their campuses who could help them if they had questions. Um, and um, after kind of establishing those connections with folks, um, really trying to be a voice for um, responsibility and sanity, um, given the chaos um, and the trauma of the spring, right? Our, our goal um, that we came into the semester with um, within our courses, um, and I, it, this was true of my own teaching um, in the spring, um, uh, should be looked at again in light of the new, the new context, right? And by early April, by late March, early April, um, we wanted to send out a message to the community that um, the number one goal um, was to survive um, and to care for our students and each other um, and for CUNY undergraduates to make sure that they maintain their connection to the institution um, and that we um, were not putting any barriers in place to that, those connections, right? So that led to conversations about um, reducing the amount of work in, in courses, um, uh, reducing the um, uh, strictness of certain policies and deadlines and just being as flexible as possible um, with students to, to help them get through the semester um, in ways that were um, as, um, you know, minimize their stress levels because everyone was really feeling it this spring. You know, Luke, this theme of flexibility is coming up a lot in my interviews with people. Like that specific term flexibility seems to be like more uh, prevalent uh, in conversations with folks. How do you think about like the issue of flexibility as it relates to uh, instructors who like wanna maintain this idea of like academic rigor and high standards? Cause sometimes they're placed or they're positioned as though they're in opposition to be flexible versus to have like academic rigor and high standards. So how do you kind of approach that issue? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I uh, recoil a bit from conversations and claims about rigor um, in the academy because I think they're often um, infused with all sorts of um, assumptions about knowledge um, and who has access to it and who has access to making it. Um, and I don't think that um, our role as college instructors is one of um, a gatekeeping. Um, and um, so oftentimes I try to kind of reposition conversations around rigor um, to um, really focus on the goals of our work within our disciplines and within the academy, right? Um, and, um, you know, if I'm going to use a word like rigor, um, I want to define it and use it within context, right? So a rigorous uh, piece of historical work or learning within the field of history, right, is well-sourced, right? It is um, uh, uh, synthesized um, from multiple primary sources, aware of the historic historiographical arguments about a topic. It's well and clearly argued and supported by evidence, right? Um, and that to me, is a rigorous historical argument, right? So 
um, with students, right? That becomes the thing, right? This, this, this is why these elements of the work are important, right? Um, so rigor becomes a way to describe it, but it's really the work um, that that's important. Um, where flexibility comes in um, is um, around the methods. Um, Sorry, one second, you have- Capacity that is, that is necessarily contextualized, right? In certain moments, we have um, the capacity for certain kinds of work um, that we don't have in other moments, right? So, um, you know, in uh, a course in the spring, that might be reducing the size or the number of overall assignments, right? It might, in my own class, um, I ultimately gave um, the students, um, this is a graduate course in critical approaches to educational technology, where the final project was that students were, um, uh, they were actually developing a, a project that had different components to it. It had a media component to it. It had um, uh, 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 writing uh, uh, involved in it. I mean, th these were, were um, significant um, uh, projects. Um, and I knew that within my class, you know, I had students who actually, they, they wanted that level, that amount of work put in front of them, right? Because it allowed them to focus on something other than the sirens going off outside their apartment, right? right. Um, and so they, they didn't want um, to um, kind of um, take their foot off the pedal a little bit, but other students had, um, were in the midst of family um, trauma. I had a student who was a nurse yeah. He was actually working in a COVID ward at, 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 in the evenings. Um, and uh, the solution was to offer three options for the final project, right? One was to, to continue at the trajectory that, um, that we were on before early March, where they were developing the project idea, um, uh, a, a less kind of intensive um, uh, final project was um, uh, a term paper, a traditional term paper where um, they had to put two of the week's uh, works worth of readings into dialogue with one another, right? So this allowed them to kind of go back to things we had read and discussed earlier in the semester and revisit it um, in light of, of our experience together, but it didn't require any additional um, technological work or additional research. Mm -hmm. um, and then a third component, which a few students um, uh, took me up on was um, to do some definitional work. Right, to do a, a lexicon of key terms um, that we had identified together as part of the early uh, uh, work in the class, right? where they would uh, define uh, 10 to 15 uh, words related to educational technology using the, the readings. Right? And what this allowed students to do was to kind of define for themselves what they wanted to get out of the class. Right? And this is a graduate level course. Um, so um, students kind of come in generally with a bit more sense than undergraduates of what they hope to get from the experience, right? But that principle still um, applies um, to the kinds of flexibility that you'd like to see in undergraduate courses, right? Let students take ownership for their own learning, right? Um, uh, repurpose the um, accreditation and assessment and evaluation process as one that supports students' pursuit of their own goals. Um, and make sure that they have options uh, and, and scaffolding and support along the way. Students who um, maybe have a trajectory within the discipline or are gonna take additional courses in it, right? Uh, may want to seize opportunities 
um, to do more or a more fully developed work within the discipline. Yeah. Other students may just want to develop familiarity with the language of the discipline, right? And can benefit from an assignment that, that does that. It um, sounds like it's like really about um, resourcefulness that you're kind of like taking stuff that you've already done and digging deeper into it and having a choice about kind of where you want to go with it. Yep, definitely. Um, and I think so much of, of um, our teaching, and this is true of all levels, is uh, prioritizes coverage. Yeah. Getting through the syllabus, you know, getting through a period of history, if it's a history course, getting through all the readings. Um, and um, there's value in coverage, yeah. right? But there's also value um, in doing a deeper dive into what you've already done and thinking anew about something you looked at a few weeks or a few months ago and really thinking about methods um, uh, as opposed to, or in addition to um, a, a large amount of material. Right. So if you kind of think of those as axes along which learning happens and you're trying to kind of balance a, you know, a chart um, where you want the students to be balancing coverage with methodology, right? It could, that, that, that balance point can also become a lever for flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that through allowing, giving students options to revise work they did earlier in the semester, right? With specific goals in mind that you, you, direct, you direct them to. Um, uh, or allowing students to kind of bite off more material to engage with um, and then guiding them through that process. So that, that, that to me is how you, how you um, understand um, flexibility. It's making sure that students have um, some options and some, some choices, that they understand the implications uh, of those choices within the context of the course and the discipline um, and, um, uh, and that they're supported along the way. In your articulation and in your practice of it, it sounds like you've used flexibility to really reinforce standards and not as something that's like opposed to standards, high standards. Yeah, I mean, I think standards are, are also um, a loaded term and it's very yeah. similar to, to rigor, um, <laughs> right? And what, 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 who defines the standards? Yeah. Um, um, how do we um, uh, articulate um, our relationship to standards. Um, and, you know, my standard for, um, uh, you know, what my expectations are of a trained historian um, is different than what I expect from a first semester college freshman who's, who's new to this work. Right. right? Um, there are certain kind of uh, points of connection between those, right? And the right. job is to introduce students um, to those, those questions and to the uh, epistemological foundations um, for them within a field. Um, but um, standards are, um, I think they should be communally um, defined right. um, and owned and negotiated and revisited, revisited um, and contested. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I have a question. So what new skills or insights have you gained as an, an educator and as someone who supports instruction at the university level through this crisis? Well, um, I think um, I'll be able to answer that question much more effectively once we're on the other side um, of the crisis in a year or two, um, because I still feel very much in it. Um, yeah. especially given what's happening with numbers 
um, and the persistent uncertainty um, at the at the college at the university. Um, I think you know again I've been learning from from you and the other TLC fellows and watching how you the language with which you all have navigated this crisis and um, uh, and the, uh, let me say these crises right because yeah. we're not only in the midst of a pandemic right but we're in the midst of a, a, a multi-layered political crisis um, that um, really came to a head with the protests um, in the summer yeah. um, uh, which um, filtered into the university and in um, uh, certain ways that I, th I think we've yet to fully reckon with right but I've seen some of the ways that they've changed um, the language with which we've we we do the work that we do at the TLC right um, like the conversations about socially um, re, uh, responsive and culturally responsive pedagogy, socially conscious pedagogy, um, even decolonial approaches to pedagogy are, are kind of given way to conversations about abolitionist pedagogy, right? Slightly more um, assertive um, strategies within the same um, set of, of concerns, right? So I'm seeing, seeing that happen and, and really learning with you all um, as we talk that through. Um, I've um, really kind of come to understand the role of care work um, yeah. in a different and evolving way as a result um, of, of this crisis. Um, uh, thinking about the role of uh, trauma-informed um, pedagogy and trauma-aware um, pedagogy in our classrooms as relation, in relationship to the work we've done on um, accessible um, course design and universal design for learning. Uh, making sure that trauma is understood within those um, uh, foundational concerns of, of an educator. Um, I think that that work has become um, more uh, profound um, in the past six months. Um, and I'm, I'm uh, excited to, to think about that um, going into the Summer Institute next year um, and through the revision of the handbook as well, right? All these ideas I, I feel as um, uh, the conversations we've been having in, in TLC staff meetings um, are just building in really, really intentional uh, and uh, profound ways on conversations that we've been having for a, a yeah. couple of years, right? I even noticed like my own language kind of like transition and I think even a little bit prior to the pandemic from terms like critical to care and what that means to go from a place of being like critical not only of materials but like this critical approach to an approach that's more careful as in caring or intentional um and it seems to really hold a lot more value now as we all are collectively and individually are experiencing various traumas i agree i agree i also think that there's a there's an element of that um and i i, I don't i don't know that you all feel this as much as 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 I do, as someone who um, has been at CUNY for twenty years um, and whose future is likely at CUNY. I was going to um, say my apologies or congratulations. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> both. I'll take, I'll take both. Um, as you know, I think the the kind of the care work um, comes from a sense of connection um, to the work, but also to the institution and to its people, um, mm -hmm. and to a sense that. Um, the university is not going to look the same um, after this crisis, um, and that that is something worth talking about um, and and um, caring about 
and um, that the, the vision um, that we've been working towards, um, uh, even from before I was at the TLC, um, is uh, worth fighting for um, in, the, in the CUNY of the future. Um, and that that is one that starts from a place of, of care, right? That care has embedded within it a criticality, right? Um, uh, right, because to, to, to really care, we have to understand, right. we can't understand without critically engaging. Right. Um, uh, but it's, it's um, I, I've, been, I've been, you know, heartened by the commitment, um, uh, not only of, of the fellows, um, but of all the graduate students who I've talked to about their teaching um, over the past year. People want to be in this space, they want to do the work right? Um, they want to care for their students. They want to do all the right things. It's just the reality of the context and the structures of the university that are making that so hard um, uh, as, as we go through this. Um, and that's worth talking about and, and unpacking. One thing that it would be interesting to really unpack is that um, traditionally or conventionally care work has really been a feminized thing. So as someone who identifies as a male and you kind of lead this TLC ship that's really a lot of females or female identified, um, how, how, do you, like, how do you approach this issue of care and spread this message of care to not be so gendered, mm -hmm. especially at this time? Yeah, it's a, real, it's a good question. Um, and one that I don't have a, a full handle on. Um, yeah. Obviously, I know that it's been uh, mostly um, female and female identified um, fellows at the TLC for the past five years. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think that there is um, less, uh, I think looking through registration and attendance at our events, um, uh, you know, conversations about pedagogy, um, our majority um, female. Um, at, at CUNY and other places. And that, that's, that's a reality. I think um, I don't, and this is a conversation I've been having with a couple of the other fellows. Um, I'm open to strategies um, to, to reach out um, to the spaces that um, uh, haven't engaged so forcefully in the work in the past. And that's not just uh, male dominated spaces, but it's also disciplines right. uh, where, um, where this kind of approach is uh, not necessarily held up. Um, uh, so I don't have a, a good answer um, for it. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of it. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable um, with those, those tensions. Um, and uh, if you have ideas um, for, for how to approach it or how to articulate it, um, I, mean, I think that's a, a good um, potential sub, uh, you know, section of the handbook um, in, in the spring is, is talking yeah. about care as a feminized uh, approach uh, and arguing that it shouldn't be. It shouldn't uh, be, right. And what, what that means for graduate center students who are going out into the campuses. So I do have one last question for you. Uh, we're in about, I think, month nine of this dystopian reality, as I would frame it. Uh, what has been the toll this has taken on you and what have been some of the strategies for coping or even thriving while working through the pandemic? Uh, yeah, um, it's been hard. Um, it, it's been uh, so early on, I had some uh, kind of physical reactions to it. I had very high blood pressure 
um, at a doctor's appointment um, uh, in late March um, that I needed to get under control. And I think it was a, a product of, of the anxiety I was, I was feeling. Um, uh, so I've been really kind of intentional about, um, about uh, uh, you know, exercise and pacing myself. Um, I, it's been, um, it's, it's hard to, to work for long stretches without exhaustion, um, setting in. Um, so that's something that, um, I've been wrestling with. Um, I have a couple of writing projects, uh, that I haven't been able to, to move forward, um, because of this. And I've, you know, just the work I've been doing is to, to make peace with that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think the, you know, the, the stress management has been the, um, the main um, uh, feature, concern about um, family um, and uh, loved ones who are vulnerable um, and a, a sense of powerlessness at being able to um, support and protect them from far away. Um, so, you know, that, that's a feeling that I've, I've wrestled with. Um, at the same time, a gratefulness of um, a proof my, of my privilege, uh, and the safety that we have, uh, in our house in New Jersey and that, um, we have the ability to keep our kids home, um, uh, from school and to, and to protect them, yeah. uh, and to support them as they're, um, going about their, their journey, um, and to, um, uh, to really, um, uh, you know, think through what that support means, not only in the immediate term, but in, in the long term. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my daughter's a high school junior. She's starting to think about colleges and um, uh, making sure that she gets as much of that experience as, as possible. Um, so the, the positive things I, you know, related to that is um, occasionally my son will just come and hug me in the middle of the work day. Um, and that's, that's enough to really, to get you through. Um, yeah. And so that's that's something I'm I'm I uh, uh, am grateful for. Um, I'm grateful not to have to commute um, <laughs> uh, and to have extra time in my day. Um, uh, I've I've probably read more uh, novels in the past nine months than I have in uh, previous nine month periods for I don't know how long. So I've, I've been reading um, a lot more, um, cooking a lot. Um, uh, baking. Um, so, you know, doing, doing things to, um, uh, create a sense of, of warmth, um, and, uh, comfort within the family. Um, so, and that's something that I, I, um, you know, when I, when I look back on this in 10, 15, 20 years, right, that warmth and those memories, um, will be there as much as the, um, the pain and the trauma will. Yeah. Um, so that, that's something that has, uh, I've been conscious about and, and with my friends who I reflect upon the moment, um, something we've all been uh, appreciative of, that it's, it's um, uh, you know, not only allowed us this closeness within our family units, um, but also allowed us in some ways to slow down, giving us permission that the institution and the work doesn't always give you um, to just to slow down and to not um, uh, to not uh, always be looking for the next task or next project. Um, and um, again, I'm privileged to have the, um, the autonomy within the structure of the Graduate Center to be able to do that, to make some choices, um, to say no to some things um, and just say, well, we just can't do that, right? Um, right. 
uh, and uh, I hope the fellows have um, you know seen how I've tried to um, facilitate that um, pacing within our, within our own work. I think in the past we've always been kind of driven by the next workshop or the next big event. Um, and coming into this year, I was like, you know, that's not how we need to be spending our time. Um, and um, I, that's something that, you know, I hope um, can stay with us all. Um, yeah. we're in that well, I've definitely felt that. I felt like we can think about like uh, slightly longer term projects than like the next workshop that's happening in a few weeks or something like that. And it really gives you time to let things kind of like marinate and slow cook as opposed to like having to produce something by a certain date. So I think that's been helpful. It's, it's really strange how like we're in this crisis and there's a lot of trauma surrounding us, but a lot of people have been able to find like these small refuge and to really be able to nurture that. And I wonder how moving forward with our lives, as maybe we move past this crisis, um, how that might translate into a new reality for us as humans and in the academy. I hope so. And I think we have to hold ourselves accountable and responsible to, to those lessons. Um, and um, uh, I think that's related, again, to like this notion of uh, fighting for the university of the future. How do we, how do we actually like build systems and cultures um, that are that truly reflect our our ideals, right? Um, yeah. And um, and that that that's hard work, right? But that's that's um, um, uh, I, I think it's 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 work that is sustaining, yeah. right? Um, and um, that. Uh, it doesn't feel like a slog to, to, to do that work, right? Yeah. It's, it's so, so purposeful. Um, so, you know, I, I look forward to, um, to struggling with that um, <laughs> once we come out of this. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> oh, it just kind of like seems endless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, re and relentless, right? And relentless, like, yeah. It's like the next, what's the, the next thing? And I think, you know, the, the prospect of a cold, dark, winter um with bad news every day is is really is really daunting um and um you know looking for advice for for other things to to take on uh to to get through this so if you have any please share with me thank you yeah no it really makes me think of like the term to disrupt because disrupting all often has positive connotations but it also comes with a lot of upheaval and pain and loss and change. So it feels like we're really in a moment of like disrupting so many things in our own lives to the core. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your experience. Thanks for doing this. Of course, thank you.
That was Sweet Lorraine by Coleman Hawkins, a composition that was shared by Luke Walton. 